You are now tuned in to the High History Podcast with your host, the great Stone Drake. It's that real shit, yo. Butterfly in the sky. Come on! I can go twice as high. Let's get it on. Take a look. Nigga. In a book. My nigga. Reading rainbow. You think it's a game? Dick. Friends to know my nigga ways to grow nigga reading rainbow Here we go again I can be anything Same old shit Welcome back to the High History Podcast A podcast about history but we high And today we're gonna tell a story about a family that sometimes just can't get it together And that family is the Olive Española better known as Haiti or La Republica Dominicana. So, basically, I'm going to condense this history for everybody out there. Haiti and La Republica Dominicana, or the Dominican Republic, was an Arawak nation. And it was built on an island within the Antilles chain. And the dominant tribe in the Arawak were the Taino. And the great stone dragon is Taino. Yo soy dominicano, boricua también. So, the Taino were in the area and they called the area Quisqueya. And if you know anything about the Taino Indians, they were a really powerful tribe. They were in the Dominican Republic, Haiti, Puerto Rico, Cuba, everywhere. And they knew the island as Quisqueya. So, the Europeans, Columbus, landed on Hispaniola, what he called it. We call it Quisqueya. And when he landed on Quisqueya, he encountered them. And the king of the Tainos went to him and welcomed him. And he gave him a cloak. And the cloak represented royalty. But Columbus interpreted it as, I am the king. They have kinged me. And now I will take it over. So we all know the story of Columbus enslaves the Native Americans. And he gives them diseases, yada, yada, yada. And brings in the Africans. All of that. So, mind you, these are the same people on the island at the time is mostly Spanish-speaking Europeans and West African slaves on the whole island. But then something happened with Spain, and they had to cede the western third of the island. And when they ceded the western third of the island, the French pirates went there and started doing pirate shit, drinking having sex with night ramblers and doing all of this stuff. And then the British buccaneers saw it. And they said, wow, we like this land too. And so they started hanging out there. But France said, no, if this is going to be anybody's part, it's going to be ours. So the French West Indies Company inhabited and took control of the western third of Quisqueya. 
or Hispaniola. And when they did that, they brought in slaves. And the French would establish their royalty there. There would be plantations. And the main crop was sugar cane. And so what was happening was the... Shit, my bad. Look at this cat. Look at that. Hey, cat. Shit, we are live in Southeast. And if you know where Southeast is, then you know. But if you don't, well, there's only one Southeast. Just look it up. Do your research. Back to the story. The French had the slaves and they were harvesting the sugar cane. But they did it so much that the land became bad. And they were running out of stock. And so the French thought, well, in order to fix this, we don't need to worry about the land. We could always find spots of land. We could just bring in more slaves. And so they bring in more slaves and the plantation economy is booming. So you could imagine that masters are being cruel to slaves and working them extra hard so they can bring out the crop and suppressing them and doing, you know, all the different horrors of slavery, um, like, like buck breaking and, um, and whippings and, and, and hangings and all of this stuff. So you could imagine the slaves or known as the bosal were tired of the mistreatment. Now, meanwhile, there were the Bosal and there were the Afonshi. And the Afonshi were the mulatos who were the slaves and the, the French mixed together by, you know, more than likely rape. So they mixed together. When they mixed together, they noticed that they had special privileges that the Bosal didn't. So they were they were still discriminated against, but it was their desire to, you know, maintain a little more calmer and more docile appearance and, you know, you know, be solid. But they would still, you know, cherish their African roots. You know, some of them still practice voodoo um, and different things like that. Uh, so it got to a point where they were being discriminated against as well so much that they started to decide a revolution. And the first revolution was in 1790 by Vincent Ogier, or Ogier, excuse me, who was a mulatto, and it failed, but the impact was so powerful that the government granted citizenship to wealthy Alfonsi. So if you were a rich mulatto, you could basically have land and, you know, be free and do all of these other things that maybe the Bosala couldn't. But then the Europeans in, in Haiti didn't follow protocol. And so the mulattoes and the Europeans were fighting again in a slave rebellion. And then in 1792, the French wanted to chill out and say, look, we don't need this right now. So they granted all Afonshi citizenship to the island. Now, that was kind of the first time 
the Europeans felt like a shakeup from some African ancestry people, you know, on that island. They were like, whoa, like, that's a little too powerful for me. But then, while that's going on, the Bosov are plotting a revolution of their own. And when they plot this revolution, they are having ceremonies, you know, using voodoo. And they are using military, you know, strategy that they got from, you know, the army, the French army. Some of them might have been forced to serve in the military. And they're all sitting around and they're planning this. Now, quick sidebar. I want you to imagine all of the slaves in a voodoo ceremony. And they are all, you know giving sacrifices and preparing themselves, you know, for what the, for what the, um, the Lua have to say, or in Santeria de Oricha. And as they prepare themselves and they go to the altar and they give their gifts, um, I want you to imagine the possession of the Lua Ogon. Ogon is the god of war. Um, he is also the god of ironworks. Uh, and Ogun, his story is he wields a machete um, and he clears the path from the heavens to the earth. So imagine being discriminated against, put down, you know, harsh treatment and you're sick of it and you're already planning a rebellion. And the night before you decide to execute a rebellion, you do an Ogun ceremony. Now, what if during this ceremony, you know, you become possessed and, you know, you start speaking in, in whatever the language they were speaking. Maybe it was the language from Dahomey or maybe from the Yoruba people or the Igbo people. And they start speaking the language and Ogun comes to you and he and he gets real close to your ear in with his sword and you know with his with his green on Ogun's color is green and his crown and he comes to you and he says kill the white man imagine the incitement of the rebellion at that moment as opposed to the next day just imagine so basically the slaves took their machetes and they went and they started killing the Europeans and the French flipped out and they were like, what is going on? And there was a slave leader who became free, who freed himself and he freed his people named Toussaint Leviture. And he was a leader in the military, so he knew all the strategies. And he came controls of several areas. And this is the first time that Europe in general is seeing a slave rebellion successfully work. And so while France is flipping out, Toussaint is negotiating with the British. And it's like, yo, keep us cool during the war and we got you 
And the British was like, okay. And he was named governor general for life. And so then Napoleon was like, fuck. These niggas are starting a rebellion. I need to send my cousin over there who's a general. Charles Leclerc. So Charles Leclerc goes over to Haiti with a bunch of experienced military leaders in the French army and exiled mulattoes. And so they captured Toussaint. He was in prison and he died on April 7th, 1803. But then Jean-Jacques Dessalines and Henri Christophe, they led a black army against the French in 1802 because Napoleon wanted to restore slavery in what Napoleon called Saint-Domingue and a Spanish called Santo Domingo. He wanted to restore slavery and they weren't having it. So they went ham on the French and in 1803, the French surrendered, surrendered. 1804, independence. And then the French, they officially left the island after they packed all their stuff and you know packed the guns and all that stuff in 1809. So that's Haiti, Haiti. So now, what is going on on the eastern side of the island? So the Spanish, when they ceded Haiti, they had the rest of the two thirds of the island, obviously. And they named it Santo Domingo. And they had slaves as well. Now, this is Henry Louis Gates did a documentary on this and I'm loosely translating it so that way y'all can know because this is mad informal. So, basically, the slaves were in the Dominican Republic and the white, wealthy, conservative Spaniards were rich, but production in Haiti with sugar cane, it was booming so much that there was no need for it in the Dominican Republic. So they said, well, what are we going to do? And they said, we're going to switch to cattle. And so they switched to cattle. And when they switched to cattle, they noticed that the overseer and the master ended up doing the same work that the slaves were doing. And they were like, well, if we're doing the same job, does it really matter if I'm a slave or not? And the Europeans were like, hmm, I guess not. And so the slaves had kind of became free. And what happened was the people started mixing 70.4% of the island right now is a mixed race in the Dominican Republic and 15.8% is black 13.5% is white and 0.3% is other races the mixing of the people allowed for them to kind of establish themselves as one Dominican race as opposed to, you know, establishing themselves into different, you know, categories. But then what would happen is 
the people will become proud of their Spanish heritage and not their African heritage because the African heritage was looked down upon. You wanted to be like Spain, you know, and that's what they, they taught them, you know, so they can advance in society. And so this became like a nationalistic thing. But then in 1822, Haiti thought there are slaves in the Dominican Republic. We can go free them and be one black nation. And so they said, we're going to go do it. And so they went to the Dominican Republic and they said, we're here to free you. And the Dominicans said, why? Because they didn't understand what was going on on the Western half. They didn't know that their African cousins and African brothers and sisters were going through what they were going through. And so it created a, 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 a riff between the people. And so then the Dominicans after a while got tired of it. And in 1844, the Dominicans gained independence from the Haitians, not the Americans, not the Spanish, not nobody, but the Haitians and the people split. The people split and they are the same people, the same exact people. If they weren't, then we can understand if this was if this was the Europeans versus versus the slaves on the whole entire island or the Europeans versus the, the indigenous people who remained and decided to populate within themselves and rise up and, you know, beat them, you know, like. This is the same people. They come from the same blood. And they were and they were ultimately met with a plot from Europeans to divide them and and to be able to influence them and to destroy them and have control behind the curtain. And that is Haiti and La República Dominicana. And I'm sorry that, you know, I'm not trying to end this on a sad note or nothing. Because, you know, there is hope. You know, they, they're still, they're still, you know, little, little conflicts. And, you know, it ain't right. And, you know, as, as a Dominican, I take, you know, accountability for my people for for being lost in 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 treating treating our Haitian brothers and sisters you know absolutely horrific sometimes you know and I understand um you know why there is the confusion you know and I understand you know what we need to do in order to move past the confusion and you know as you could tell the great stone dragon is very passionate about this, you know, because this is what history is all about. We have to know where we came from to know what we need to do. And, you know, even, you know, some of this stuff happened as recent as Trujillo. You know, 
with the parsley revolution. If you couldn't say parsley in Spanish and you were dark skinned living on the Dominican side, you would kill. It, it was a scary time, but it was the same people. And that's what's sad about it. It's the confusion. You can't be confused by what is going on. You have to open your eyes and see how history affects your life today. You have to open your eyes and see what you need to do from, you know, the historical lessons that, that, that history teaches us. And that is why we make this podcast. So that way you can understand your history before you are doomed to repeat it. We'll be right back with the High History Podcast. With your host, the great Stone Dragon. podcast with your host the great stone dragon and so now we are gonna have weed talk this is the weed talk segment once again as you heard in the last podcast so you will hear in this podcast as well is weed talk with the great stone dragon and you know a lot of people got their favorite strands of weed they got um you know bubble kush and you know some folk like runts you know, some people, some people like Blue Dream. Some people like um, peanut butter breath. But, you know, I, I know y'all are wondering, Great Stone Dragon, what's your favorite strand of weed? Well, I'm going to tell you what my favorite strand of weed is. But before I tell you that, let me just preface this by saying my favorite strand is not the best strand that I had. And so I'm going to tell you the best strand I had so you so I could give you like some some insight. The best weed that I didn't had was when I went to Colombia. And I was in Medellin, Medellin, Colombia. Que pasa paisa. But like um yeah, the 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 tour guide that we were with, you know, we were chopping it up. And he was telling us he was going to show us the nightlife and all that stuff like that. And um, we was walking past the liquor store. Like before we went out to the club, it was like, oh, look, we got to get the liquor. And then he was like, oh, OK, cool. And then the other dude that I was with, he was like, yo, do y'all smoke weed here? And he was like, yeah, you know. And I was like, oh, shit, it's finna go down. So we get to the club later that night. And like, he's like, I, right, I'm going to go get the nigga is however much. So basically, we paid like $10 for like two grams. But when he bought it back out, them shits was rolled up in joints. Now. 
Mind you, like, I'm like, okay, cool. Maybe that's just how they do that here to, you know, get in in the club, whatever. And, um, you know, so we go outside and it's legal in Colombia, like fully legal. You can smoke weed on the street. It's amazing. But like, I went out with all my niggas and I sat on the ground with the joint and I lit the shit up. Now, mind you, I looked at that shit before and that shit was orange. And I know it's orange because of the soil they got. They grow it in the mountain and they bring it down to the city. It's the soil. So, like, I'm looking at this shit. I'm like, all right, I'm finna smoke this shit. And I took a puff of that shit. I blew that shit out. And instantly, it felt like I smoked half a blunt. I was like, what the fuck? And I was just sitting there like, God damn. But it wasn't like no aggressive high. It was like a, it it was like the chilling shit. I was in the club like grooving. Like I could drink a little more liquor when I'm high. Like the nigga had the bottles and they was playing like like the, the fist pump music and shit. So we was in the club and he was like, yo, yo, touch your head back. And I was like, I ain't cool. And he took the bottle of what they call Agua Diente. And he poured that shit in my mouth and I'm drinking like half the fucking bottle. And this shit is nasty. But like the weed is helping me like take the liquor and I'm dancing and shit. That was the best shit that I've ever had in my life. Now, mind you, that's in a different country. Of course, they are going to have better weed in Colombia than the United States. Right? Right. So. Now we're going to talk about my favorite strand, stateside. So, my favorite strand, stateside, is jet fuel. And let me tell you why. One day, I hit my plug up, who's also my cousin. And I was like, yo, I need to cop like an A from you, whatever. Or like or like a grant, whatever. And um, he was like, all right. Now, mind you, this nigga, you know, he a street dealer, but like, he got all kind of shit. One time, he gave me some. Uh, he gave me some blue cheese. Another time, he gave me some shit. I, I'm. I swear to. I swear to God, this is real shit. He gave me some shit called purple donkey dick. And I was like, what the fuck? That shit was good as hell. Gave me AK forty seven. So like, I pull up on him. I'm like, yo. He was like, all right, cool. We do the whole thing. And he said, this shit some jet fuel. And I was like, oh, okay, jet fuel. Mind you, I didn't know this was currency weed, like currency spitter. Like, I didn't know this was his weed. So, like, I go, you know, to my little hot box spot, roll up, and, like, I smoke. And I'm high as fuck. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I'm chilling. And the whole day, I'm high off of one blunt. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, it got to the point. I got back to the crib, took a shower, ate dinner, all of that shit. And I'm in the bed at 9 o'clock, and I'm still high. And I smoked at, like, 11 o'clock in the morning. Don't no other. I ain't smoked no other weed that made me do that shit. None other. So if I can find that shit again, I'm going to be lucky. I swear to God I am. But that was Weed Talk with the Great Stone Dragon. We'll be right back to the High History Podcast. Bop, bop.
Thank you for coming out to the High History Podcast, a podcast about history when we high. And now, Street Poems with the Great Stoned Dragon, a series of poems inspired by the streets, read in poetry style. And now, presenting The Call of the Streets. Bring my phone rings. The streets have called. Come release the birds so we may ball we can have it all but need your help the work touches the block give a yelp a cheer a hurrah for we all eat today remember the days of poverty trying to make a way the days of yore we slept on the floor the trap inhibits souls galore alive or dead our seeds must be fed so we acquire bread and dawn our heads with knowledge of how to avoid the feds. And to each our own the path is led. We get to blazing, gunshots, egad. To live this life is not a fad. But stay the course and you will succeed. A reward is given, pussy, money, and weed. To die is honor, to snitch is death. Catch your breath, the streets have death to avoid the call may escape the pain but the streets have called so will you play the game street poems with the great stone dragon and that is the high history podcast and until next time stay stoned